from Two Keto LLC. It's the Obesity Code podcast with Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. Each week, we bring you lessons and stories from the Intensive Dietary Management Program in Toronto, Canada. I'm Carl Franklin. And on the show today, addicted to sugar. The Obesity Code podcast is brought to you by 2Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And you can support our mission by making a monthly pledge, no matter how small, at patreon.2keto.com. Today's show centers around IDM patient Dawn Foote, who found that the only way to get rid of her lifelong sugar addiction was a combination of a ketogenic diet and fasting. Dawn comes from a family of addiction. So I had issues when I was younger. And when she quit certain destructive behaviors in her youth, food became her addiction. And of course, that was sugary carbohydrates that I eventually spent many, many years dealing with that issue. When she was six years old, Dawn was addicted to chapstick. Chapstick, literally, to where I would rub it all over my face. I remember my even stealing money because I would run out of it and I'd have to steal money from my parents so I could go to the store, walk myself to the store and get it. Dawn started smoking when she was eight years old. So I couldn't keep that addiction going because I really didn't have the money to do that. But I would, I did do that periodically. And then probably when I was about 15, 14, I started doing drugs. And that pretty much stayed with me. Um, drank a few times, but I really wasn't interested in that much. Dawn remembers devouring cereal. And when I would go to the people's house to babysit, they had certain types of cereal. And I, I think those were my first few binging moments. I would just eat a little bit of this cereal, a little bit of the next cereal. and um, But then I smoked cigarettes, too. So, I mean, mostly at that time, you know, I, I was able to not really be involved in, in food much. I think it was just basically drugs and cigarettes. And that kind of kept me going until I wanted to quit those things which continued until she was 21. Got married, started to have a child, just started thinking about my life, you know, and I didn't want to do drugs anymore and just kind of started eating without even really realizing it. Like many people, Dawn never really checked her blood sugar, so she doesn't really know where she was on the spectrum of type 2 diabetes. So no, I, I've never been diagnosed with anything. And any time that I would have blood drawn, you know, for a certain reason, you know, my fasting blood sugar, I never even bothered to ask what it was. They always said it was normal. But I, I know that I would have issues when I would eat certain types of carbohydrates. You know, like I could eat, say, um, low-fat milk in oatmeal with dry toast and then I'd go to the health club before work and work out for an hour and then I'd be just about ready to pass out. Dawn had tried many diets many times, including the Atkins diet. I had moments where I would try, you know, back in the 90s, 
I had read about Dr. Atkins, and so I had tried, but it was a diet. And I couldn't stick with it. I wasn't willing to give up sugar and my addictive addiction-type foods. Richard here. I'm the other keto dude. I think we all tried Atkins at one point. One of the problems with the Atkins diet in the 90s was that after the two-week induction phase, it had you slowly add back carbohydrate-containing food until you reach maintenance. For many of us, as soon as we started doing that, it was like rolling a snowball down a hill, and we rapidly wanted to eat all the carbs. I found as long as I stayed in Atkins' induction phase, I was fine though, and it turns out that that was pretty close to a ketogenic diet, which is a lot easier to stick to. But back then, it was easy to fall off the Atkins diet. She estimates that she had lost 100 pounds and gained it back at least three times. I had a good friend that told me, you're either um, binging or you're on a diet. You don't know how to just live. That pretty much sums me up. I tried every diet imaginable. The only one that I felt good on was Atkins which I didn't understand it at the time, but my blood sugar leveled out. and But, um, you know, I still didn't want to give up those foods. My health wasn't, it just wasn't as important to me as, as I, looking back, wish it would have been. Dawn is a very social person. And so the Atkins diet was very hard to pull off in the 90s, where low fat was the dogma of the day and carbs were everywhere. And so I'm involved in a lot of social activities. And of course, there's always food with that. You know, a lot of times I'd be like, well, there's nothing else to eat. Either I use that as an excuse or there really wasn't anything else to eat. I mean, so I basically would eat that. And then, of course, that would set in that cycle too. Dawn is convinced that sugar in particular was the object of her addiction. I mean, I realize that all carbohydrates are sugar, but definitely sweets. I mean, and I would eat large volumes of sweets at a time. Here's Dr. Jason Fung with his thoughts on addiction. One of the things that we see very commonly is this sort of addictive behavior. And it's not really talked about a whole lot uh, in the treatment of obesity, but when you talk to people a lot, it definitely comes out that people feel sort of out of control and they they really have to eat certain foods, particularly carbohydrate-containing foods, and that they really have to uh, have, have no control. So then they eat and eat and eat, and of course they gain weight after that. And it's the psychology of addiction, which is quite different from nutrition, uh, because people know that this uh, thing that they're eating is going to cause them to gain weight, but they just feel that they have no control of it whatsoever. The general... Um, sort of calorie counting model doesn't really take that into account because it simply says well you're eating too much and then you shouldn't eat so much well that's not really very helpful so one of the very interesting studies that looked at uh, cravings is uh, by Martin CK et al obesity volume 14 number one January 2006 and what they did uh, in this study was they looked at several different cravings um, and they measured them in terms of what they uh, people's subjective response to them. And they measured general cravings, sweets, high-fat foods, carbohydrates, starchy foods, and fast foods. 
and then they put them on two different diets so a low calorie diet and then a sort of ultra low calorie diet so a low calorie diet was sort of 1200 1500 kilocalories per day so uh, sort of a standard uh, weight loss sort of diet that most people uh, try to do one that's by the way just very ineffective for weight loss then they went to a very low carbohydrate diet which is uh, 500 or 800 calories a day which is very very low and then they measured their cravings and what was very interesting about the study is that when you simply diet those cravings really uh, are not changed so if you have cravings for sweets say you have cravings for sugary foods or beverages they really just don't make any difference if you go on a standard diet. If you cut 500, 600 calories per day, you still have all those cravings and it'll be just as hard to control. So if the craving is your reason that you're gaining a lot of weight, then you have to deal with the craving and what do you do? So the ultra low calorie diet, this uh, super low calorie diet where you're just really eating not none of it at all, the cravings just uh, almost completely disappeared. So they improved by 50, 80% in most cases. And this was uh, true across all types of foods. So whether it was sweet foods or fatty foods or fast foods or whatever, they all went down. And as you look at the over 12 weeks of this very low um, uh, calorie diet, everything just kind of uh, goes down as you start to refeed some of it starts to rebound so one of the things that uh, we do with the fasting of course is not just ultra low calorie but it's sort of a zero calorie diet now you can't keep it up day after day after day um, so you do have to be very careful uh, about it but what, you, what it means in essence is that if you know you have an addiction to this stuff you really just can't eat this stuff um, I, it, it doesn't make any sense to sort of feed this addiction. So if you have an itch, for example, the thing to do is to not scratch it. You can't scratch an itch a little bit and expect that it's going to be better. Every parent knows that when you scratch this itch, it just gets worse. So if you're talking about cravings, then you really have to eat it not at all. So this is important when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do in between those sort of eating periods. So if you have an addiction, and the most common is to sweet foods and starchy foods in general. Um, even when they're fatty foods, they tend to be sweet and fatty rather than just pure fat. So if you think about people who are quote unquote addicted to foods, what do people get addicted to? Well, they get addicted to sugar, they get addicted to chocolate, they get addicted to sort of donuts and ice cream and all this sort of stuff. You don't get addicted to pork, for example. Um, it's almost unheard of that somebody says, oh, I started eating pork chops and I just couldn't stop. Uh, for the most part, what you have to really uh, avoid is ultra-processed foods. And so fast foods would sort of fall in that line. And it's not really the fat that's um, the problem. The problem is really the fact that ultra-processed foods would remove a lot of the things that naturally fill us up. So if you take a um, 
pork chop, for example, or salmon or something like that, or apples or whatever, they have, uh, they have natural satiety signals. So when you eat several apples, now there's lots of uh, fructose, there's lots of carbohydrates in an apple, for example, and it's sweet. But people don't say, wow, I just started uh, eating uh, apples and I just couldn't stop. I ate like 60 apples. And it's like, yeah, I never heard of that. But people will say, oh, I ate some cookies and I just couldn't stop. The body has several satiety signaling mechanisms. There are stretch receptors in the stomach. So as you expand the stomach, that will naturally signal you to stop eating. There's a satiety signaling peptide called peptide YY, which is secreted from the cells in the lining of the gut and is sensitive to protein. And there's also cholecystokinin, which is a peptide hormone secreted by the cells in the small intestine, which is sensitive to fatty acids. And there are hormones called incretins that slow down the movement of food through the gut, which slows absorption and keeps you fuller for longer. We interviewed journalist Gary Taubes, author of The Case Against Sugar, for our podcast, and we asked him, is sugar addictive? The author Charles Mann, a friend of mine, a wonderful historian, uh, journalist, the way he put it in his book, 1493, he said, scientists debate among themselves whether sugar is an addictive substance or people just act like it is. And I think that's about the state of the science today. We can demonstrate, and it has been demonstrated unambiguously, that rats and mice find sugar as addictive as any other drug of abuse, including perhaps heroin. Um, we're not rats and mice. Uh, clearly sugar has a hold. It's a psychoactive substance. We know it's a painkiller because it's used to, to uh, give to infants before circumcision so that it either distracts them or numbs the pain so that they can deal with this. It very clearly, uh, at the very least, a psychoactive substance, and it has a hold over our children and many adults that other foods simply don't have. Even the de ardent defenders of sugar in the food Food supply says, well, of course, parents have to ration their children's sugar consumption. And then the question becomes why. And the way I think about it is if you've got kids, you don't need scientists to tell you whether or not sugar is addictive or whether or not it has a hold over your children that other carbohydrates or, you know, the finest French cheeses don't. Dawn's favorite poisons included ice cream. Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Pastries. You know, I could easily go to the grocery store and get, you know, a dozen donuts from the bakery and go home and one sitting eat six or eight of them. Anything that was high fat, high sugar. Oreos to this day are still my favorite cookie. And they are in my house at all times because the other members in my family eat Oreos. For years, Dawn was trying to figure out how she could eat sugar and not have it affect her. I asked her if she'd ever been diagnosed with an eating disorder, and she told me, I, didn't, I don't need anyone to diagnose me that way. I know that the way I ate food, past the point of being sick, literally, and would continue doing, that's not normal. In 2016, Dawn started learning more about the hormonal model. She knew that she felt better if she kept her carbs down. Um, I had heard about Dr. Fung, and then I started learning more about um, the ketogenic way, you know, 
watching my protein because I think I would eat too much protein. I mean, being a food addict, I was really a volume eater and I liked to be able to eat large volumes of food at one time. So I did get his book and I read it cover to cover and I thought, well, this makes sense. In late 2016, Dawn tried eating a ketogenic diet. She was eventually able to cut out breakfast, so that became normal. But the real surprise was her sugar cravings. I would say physically my sugar cravings went away easily within three to four weeks of eating a ketogenic diet. Dawn's first extended fast was a five-day fast, which she did on her own without any supervision after several months of being ketogenic. I think it was in April or March, I, I had learned also about the IDM program, of course. And I thought, you know what, I want to try that. I want to try that. She didn't just jump in, though. She wanted to be fat adapted before she fasted. I'm sure it was several months that I had been ketogenic before I did my first fast. I don't know if it would have been, you know, day after day, back to back, but I I knew that to do that first five-day fast, because I can't deal with over-hunger. I mean, I just knew my personality could not deal with that. So I knew from reading in the book, for me, I needed to be... Um, fat adapted. I needed to be there before I did that first fast. And I was completely in ketosis when I did that five-day fast. And I know without a doubt that helped me get through it. Dawn discovered that feeling hungry is relative. Well, the first couple days, I kept thinking, I feel hungry, I feel hungry. And then people kept saying, oh, by the third day, you're going to feel great. On the third day, I still felt um, a little hungry, no blood sugar issues, which was nice, no, you know, ups and downs. Um, and by my fourth day, I was like, wow, I don't, I don't feel any hungrier than, in fact, I feel less hungry than if I were to eat a meal with carbs. I think I could have gone longer. It's just the, I just wanted to eat, you know, I mean, I had never gone five days in my life without eating, and but I ate. I wasn't hungry, but I did eat. I, I was losing weight. I wasn't losing it as fast as I would like to because I had, you know, this last gaining period, I had gained about 40 pounds, 45 pounds. And so, of course, I wanted that off right away. But I was, um, you know, I was consistently losing a little weight um, here and there. Um, but fasting, definitely longer periods of fasting, took that up a notch. But I knew that I was, even if the scale wasn't moving, I knew there were changes because I had clothes that were fitting me for the first time. I could maybe get into them, but they were really tight. And I was, they were getting too big for me to even wear at that time. The moment of realization for Dawn came when she attended a wedding. And it was a good friend of mine's, her daughter's wedding. And I've known this little girl. In fact, my granddaughter was her flower girl. And I thought, oh, I'm going to this wedding, my first big thing after being keto and sticking with it, you know. And I really didn't have any problem. You know, I ate, told myself one plate of food. I ate some things on there that were not ketogenic, but I didn't eat anything sweet. 
and um, didn't even give it a thought. I couldn't believe that I did it. I mean, I just thought, how could I go to this wedding, you know, and not eat cake? Because that was always my thinking, you know, how can I go do this and, and not eat? You know, how can I drive past Dairy Queen when they have a new flavored blizzard that I've never tried and I should, you know, at least try it, you know? But I got up the next day and I thought, I can live without sugar. And that was the first time that I realized not only could I live without sugar, because I knew I could live without it, but would I be happy? Would I enjoy myself? You know, would I, would I always feel deprived? And I found out then, no, I feel, I feel really good in a lot of ways, emotionally, definitely physically. I mean, there's no, can't even compare it. Um, so yeah, it was just a very good feeling. In April of 2017, Dawn joined the IDM program. Dawn's always been very committed. And that, of course, is Megan Ramos, director of the IDM program. Dawn came into the IDM program wholeheartedly believing that this is what she needed to do and this is going to get her success and that she just had to do it to get success. Uh, she was in the, in the right mental frame to start this way of life. Dawn's longest fast had been seven days. She's done four or five five-day fasts, one seven-day fast, and consistently does one meal a day. Dawn distracts herself by staying busy. She works at home. I have learned even to use TV as a distraction, which I used to not be able to do that. When I first quit sugar, I had to pretty much quit watching TV for a while because I associated those two together. And now I can't actually, you know, go pop in a movie or something and get my mind off of it. Dawn likes to cook for her family while fasted. I hear some people say it's really hard when their family's there and they're cooking for them. I actually do better at fasting when my family's there and I'm cooking for them. So fortunately, they're here most of the time and I'm doing that. Dawn says she does use artificial sweeteners occasionally. I do. I do use a little bit once in a while. I will use some artificial sweeteners, um, I, but I don't have a craving for it much, you know. So I can actually, when I'm hungry, go into my refrigerator and, of course, I say hungry lightly because eating ketogenic, I very seldom ever feel hungry. I just am not fasting, so I know I should eat today. But um, I can honestly say in the past, it would have been, I would skip dinner and go straight to dessert. You know, now, um, even if I have something that I can make with an artificial sweetener, um, I normally just choose something savory to eat. Interestingly, Dawn's biggest challenge in fasting wasn't the physical part. It was the psychological issues in the old habits that died hard. You know, I'm not going to lie. I still struggle at times, um, and not because I'm hungry. You know, there will be times like, um, say, if my husband's gone for a few days to go do something, you know, I'll try and do a fast. I'm like, oh, this is a perfect time for me to just do a three- or four-day fast. But I find myself thinking of food more often. 
So I don't know if that's from, you know, my past issues with eating, you know, by myself or things like that. Um, so I still at times struggle doing a fast and I know it's just mental because physically I have no problems. I have no, I don't even have, you know, I remember Megan in one of my appointments saying to the group that, oh, fasting gets easier. And I used to think, oh, that can't possibly be, but it is true. It is it is so simple physically to go five or seven days without food. Um, but I still get caught up on the mental part of it sometimes, and I end up breaking it early. Sometimes it's just that emotional connection to the food, like Dawn was describing. It's not that I actually crave carbohydrates, but you have these emotional memories. And I think I talked about this on one of the holiday podcasts. Um, but when I was a kid at Christmas time, uh, my grandmother made like the most perfect, beautiful, dove shaped shortbread cookies. And I used to watch her and I loved watching her bake these cookies. It was such an art to her. And it was a special moment that I had with my grandmother on Christmas Eve. I would be in her kitchen and I would watch her make these cookies. And I just love watching her make them. I love the attention to detail she spent on these cookies. I loved our time together. It was uh, a grandma and Megan time. And it was that special moment with her that I had on Christmas Eve. And then we would always take the first two together before she gave them to anyone else on Christmas Day. So I have this really special connection with my grandmother and our our history here surrounding these shortbread cookies. And throughout the entire year, I never want a cookie. I never want a shortbread cookie. I don't even really like shortbread cookies that much, to be honest. They're not my cookie of choice if I was going to have a cookie. But I have this strong emotional connection at Christmas time to these shortbread cookies. So all year long, I can pass up these shortbread cookies. I don't care for sugar in the first place. I was always someone who struggled with more starchy foods like bread and pasta and potatoes. So to me, it's just so mind-boggling that every Christmas, I would just have this intense craving for a shortbread cookie like out of nowhere. And then I realized that it wasn't that I was not in ketosis and it wasn't that I was doing something wrong with my ketogenic diet and it wasn't that I needed to fast more. I had this true emotional bond to shortbread cookies at Christmas time. So did you tell your family and friends what you were doing to lose weight? I tell people because I have a lot of friends that have seen a huge transformation in me since April. What do you do? What do you do? And I'm like, I just eat a ketogenic diet and I fast, and it literally fell off. I feel better today than I did in my 30s, and, I, and I'm sure part of it's because I'm, you know, I've kept my weight down. But I, after doing more research and reading, I realized how bad I felt with constantly insulin being pumped out in my body. Um, whether I saw weight gain or not, I'm realizing that I think there was a lot of fatigue that went with that. And how much weight have you lost? I have lost since April of 2017, um, I have lost about 60 pounds. I've lost weight like this before, um, but I've never felt this good. I've never 
felt like I can, you know, run a marathon. Don't want to run a marathon, but I feel like I could if I had to. <laughs> well, my goal is definitely to always eat a ketogenic diet. That that I'm I'm never going to change, and I will always do fasting. Yeah, I keep thinking I need to lose probably another maybe 15 or 20 pounds. Everybody else tells me I don't, but that's probably just me. But um I think once that happens or if it happens, um I'll always do some type of fasting, whether it's intermittent, you know, whether it's a maybe one five day a month, whether it's just because I'm in a um I'm in a place where they don't have food that I can eat. And so since I'm in a ketogenic state, I can just pass that meal, you know, which is I do that frequently today even if I'm with I've been at restaurants with people and I'm just like, you know what? I'm not hungry and I just enjoy their company. I don't eat, maybe drink some coffee or something. I'm getting ready to go to California in a couple weeks, going to Disneyland, you know, and I already know I won't be eating. You know, I'm going to have to fast there cuz there's almost nothing to eat there and I thought that's real freedom. when you can go somewhere and if you've stayed ketogenic you you're already fat adapted and I've got enough fat on me to live I can get through days of when I'm put in a period like that so I love it it's to me it's freedom from food thank you don and that's our story for this week you've been listening to the obesity code podcast Lessons and stories from the intensive dietary management program. The Obesity Code podcast is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low carb community with podcasts and other publications. And you can support our mission by making a monthly pledge, no matter how small, at patreon.2keto.com. I'm Carl Franklin. We'll see you next time.